trivia time. What was the largest environmental disaster in U.S. history? That would be the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Hello and welcome to Starting Sustainability, episode 107, hosted by yours truly, Kaylin Chenoweth. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving this past weekend. It is actually currently right now while I am recording the intro and the outro. It is Black Friday at 10 p.m. (laughs) It was tough because of Black Friday, but I did behave myself pretty well. I only made a couple of purchases, literally just a couple of purchases. (laughs) And it was for things that I really cannot find used anywhere. I bought flannel sheets for our mattress because our old ones literally have about five or six holes in them because the dog sleeps in the bed with us and he'll dig and scratch to fluff it up and then his nails end up ripping it. So around the fifth hole and tear in there, I was like, okay, it's time to be done with these. But they're going over to Amanda Canfield so she can turn them into something really awesome for the Etsy shop. (laughs) And then the other thing that I purchased today was collapsible Tupperware. We first learned about that when I did my interview with Stephanie Miller. And she was the author of the book Zero Waste Living, The 80-20 Way. And she would pack collapsible Tupperware into her purse. That way when she went out to eat at a restaurant, if she had leftovers, she already had a container to put them in. So that way she didn't have to partake in their styrofoam container, whatever their trashy, plastic, not good for the environment to go container was at the restaurant. And so that's been on my Christmas list for a long time and I'm pretty sure nobody's gonna buy that for me. And it was on sale. So (laughs) I, I couldn't resist, so I ended up getting it. I'm very excited about it. I got two sets so I can gift one to somebody else at Christmas. I do hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Hopefully you were able to implement some sustainable practices this year. I myself attempted making rolls from scratch. I had never done that before. I've only made two loaves of bread from scratch and one was a flop. The other one was pretty decent. So I thought now would be a great time to try to make rolls from scratch. And I went to the store and realized there are three different kinds of yeast. And when I bought the yeast for the bread, it came with the bread recipe on the back. So I didn't really pay attention to what kind of yeast I even had purchased. And now I was trying to follow a recipe from a Betty Crocker cookbook from like the 1950s or 60s that I have. It was my mom's. (laughs) So she passed it to me. And in there it just says yeast and I didn't know which kind of yeast to get. So I got the fast acting yeast. Anyways, I think I got the wrong yeast because these rolls were not very fluffy. They they were hearty. These were hearty. They were tiny because they were supposed to rise three times their size and they they didn't (laughs) but everybody was very polite and ate one and told me how delicious they were anyways so huge shout out to my family for saying how great my crummy rolls turned out to be (laughs) and I also opted to bring a dessert now if you remember a few weeks ago I hosted a friendsgiving where I made a lot of pudding like for 14 people. (laughs) I made this pumpkin pudding and then everybody else also brought dessert. So I just kind of left my pumpkin pudding in the fridge because it wasn't nearly as fancy as everybody else's. And then I didn't know what to do with that pumpkin pudding because there was a lot of it. So I decided that I would try to freeze it. I put it in a Tupperware container, put it in the deep freeze. And then just a few days ago, I pulled it out to thaw. And my thought was I can make brownies or chocolate cake 
and crumble it up and put the pumpkin pudding in there and some homemade whipped cream from the heavy whipping cream, like make the whipped cream myself and make a trifle. I've never made a trifle. I've been to holiday festivities where somebody else has made a trifle and always looks so cool and really impressive. And so I was so excited to make a trifle. And then the pudding thawed and I looked at it and it kind of looked like cottage cheese. So it turns out you cannot freeze pudding and then let it thaw. It totally separates. I tried to blend it back up, but it was not working at all. So I just stuck with brownies and that was it. <laughs> and you might be thinking, come on, Caitlin, brownies, it's Thanksgiving. You should have brought pie. Okay, first of all, two other people brought pie. So we had pumpkin pie and lemon meringue pie and I brought brownies. And you know what? All of the brownies disappeared and there was pie left over. So even though pie might be traditional, clearly brownies win. <laughs> hey, at least one of my food items turned out, even if it was the brownies. And my poor husband has been on call. It's a two week rotation. So he's been on call for two weeks and that's including this entire four day weekend. He will go off of call Monday, 7 a.m. after the four day weekend. And on Thanksgiving day, we are packing up, getting ready to leave because we have a two hour drive. My sister hosts and she lives two hours away. Well, the whole family lives there. I'm the one that lives far away. So I'm the one stuck driving. But anyways, it's about 9 a.m. and he gets an emergency call. And then he had to go work out in the rain and wind and miserable cold for the rest of the day. Well, we all got to celebrate Thanksgiving and play games. And I would like to give a huge shout out, big thank you to my husband because... When he got home from his miserable day, about eight o'clock at night, we got the children tucked into bed and he agreed to sit down and record this episode with me. We did do research in preparation for this episode and I would like to give credit and let you know where the sources came from. So the first information was from BBC, British Broadcasting Company. They had a documentary podcast on Deepwater Horizon. A lot of information came from there. There was a YouTube video by the CSB, that is the Chemical Safety Board. So you can search for it if you want to watch it and you just search Deepwater Horizon Animation and then look for the CSB video. And it will also give you a great visual because I know, unfortunately, the downside about podcasting is that it's just audio. So this is an excellent resource to get a visual, although I think we do a pretty good job of explaining it. And there was the Presidential Commission investigative report as well as the Deepwater Horizon movie itself. And now I know the movie is Hollywood, but actually a lot of the stuff in there was very factual and it helped give a visual and help explain a lot of concept as well as being really entertaining and a great date night. When we're talking about things that we saw in the movie, we made sure to double check and follow up and make sure that it was actually factual, that that part wasn't Hollywood. If you haven't seen the movie, I do recommend it. It's excellent for date night. It's insanely intense and it gets your heart pumping the entire time. You won't fall asleep in the middle of it. <laughs> That's a throwback to when I fell asleep in one of our previous date nights. <laughs> and now for the best part of this episode. Let's get to it. In the evening of April 20th, 2010, disaster struck at Deepwater Horizon oil rig when a blowout caused by a surge in methane gas from the oil well exploded, engulfing the platform. 11 workers died and 17 were injured. This oil rig was located 50 miles off the coast of Louisiana. The rig burned for two days and eventually sank. For the next 87 days, BP engineers tried to staunch the flow of crude oil gushing out of the well on the ocean floor. 
an estimated 184 million gallons were spilled, 18 times the amount spilled by the Exxon Valdez, making it the largest accidental marine oil spill in the world and the largest environmental disaster in U.S. history. This will be a two-part series. Today, part one, we will learn about what went wrong. And next week, part two, we will discuss the environmental damage and the cleanup efforts. Today, I have a good old Texas boy, born and raised, who has worked on oil rigs to help explain what went wrong. Who is he? It's my husband, again, for his second appearance ever on this podcast. Please welcome Channing Chenoweth. How are we doing? Hello. (laughs) Channing, you're an electrician, so how do you know anything about oil rigs? Well, I used to work on oil rigs. Actually, I did know that. We were dating at the time. And from what I remember, it was a very tough and messy and exhausting job. Is that correct? That is correct. Instead of going into a whole bunch of stories to explain it to the listeners, I would like to bring up the TV show Black Gold. So if anybody's ever seen that show, and Channing can testify, that show totally explains and gives you straight on eyewitness, like a deep look into how tough of a job that working on oil rig can be. Yes, that is true. Um, There probably is a little bit of Hollywood involved in it, but for the most part, what you see is is true. Now, Channing, you worked on oil rigs pretty much out in the desert wasteland of Texas, and that's going to be a little bit different than the Deepwater Horizon. That was actually an offshore rig, which means the rig itself was a platform above the water, but the well was 5,000 feet underwater, whereas on land, the well, you can see the well right right from the platform. Yeah. Yes. At this moment, I'd really like to set the stage for Deepwater Horizon. BP newly acquired the well. A different company had it before, and that was TransOcean. To do research and prepare for this episode, we watched the movie Deepwater Horizon. We actually saw it on a date night quite a few years ago in the theater, but we re-watched it again this past week, this time paying much closer attention to the science and the timeline of the events. I also listened to a podcast documentary by BBC about the Deepwater Horizon. And per that documentary, in 2010, BP started focusing on offshore drilling with over 100 wells in the Gulf of Mexico. The U.S. government actually made it very easy and attractive for them to move very quickly in this venture. Because the liability cap, if there was a spill, was only $75 million. Which sounds like a lot, but in reality, converting it to you and me, it's more like five cents. Which is basically a joke in terms of a fine. So of course they chose to drill along the U.S. Why would they go anywhere else? Because other places were very political, making it much more difficult. The geology wasn't as great. And the liability was very high. In March of 2010... The president of the United States at that time announced the government's support for offshore drilling, promoting how safe it was to drill offshore and how, quote, they generally don't cause spills, end quote. And then 20 days later, Deepwater Horizon exploded. So to help give you a visual, I looked up how big Deepwater Horizon was, and it said it was about two football fields. Channing, is that the same size as the rigs that you worked on on land? No, the ones on land are definitely a lot smaller than that. Why? 
Well, I would assume the main reason why is because you don't have to store as much stuff on the rig. You know, when you're offshore, you kind of have to have everything on the rig. I mean, you have to have offices. You know, you got to have an area for everyone to sleep, areas to store things, maintenance shops, things of that nature, helicopter landing, area for lifeboats, supplies, all that stuff. Yeah, whenever you're on land, you kind of have all that stuff just kind of nearby like you'll have trailers nearby that'll be where all the offices are trailers for man camps where everybody will sleep and do laundry and bathrooms all that stuff is just nearby oh okay that does make a lot more sense thank you a different company came out to pour the concrete like a contract company they came out to pour the concrete in the well and bp didn't test it to ensure the cement was properly done and per the bbc documentary BP already had a very tarnished reputation for safety, so the main guy in charge of the rig, Mr. Jimmy, demanded a negative pressure test. Can you explain what that is? Yes. So I'll start by saying that Jimmy did not work for BP. He worked for, what was the other company? Transocean. Transocean. Yeah. So he was pushing BP to run a negative pressure test, which is a test that they do before the the rig packs up and leaves. They do this test to make sure that the well is going to hold, make sure the concrete will hold. And the rumor has it that they were trying to skip out on this test to save money, which is why the BP supervisor ended up getting indicted on, on manslaughter charges, which were later dropped. So the first negative pressure test gave inconclusive results. And Bob Kaluza and Donald Vidrine were the rig supervisors from BP, and they stated the test results were due to something called a bladder effect, basically blaming the sensor for the misreading. Because with a negative pressure test, if there is negative pressure, then there would have been oil up on the rig deck, but there wasn't, which is why it was so inconclusive. So then they decided to run the test again, but this time they did it on the kill line to avoid the choke line or the main line's sensors. So they did it on the kill line, and that test came back good, which is why they moved forward with the drilling process. After the whole explosion of Deepwater Horizon, there was a presidential commission doing a huge investigation report, and the lead counsel on that report was Fred Bartlett. And per the investigative report, quote, Every industry expert the investigative team met with dismissed the so-called bladder effect as a fiction, that could not have accounted for the pressure readings the men saw on April 20th, end quote. So because Bob Kaluza and Donald Vidring were so convincing about the, quote, bladder effect, they moved forward with the drilling. And I'm sure being 45 days behind schedule and costing the company millions, maybe even billions of dollars at that point, absolutely had nothing to do with it, she said with extreme sarcasm. So they then resumed working and continuing to drill, and then oil started oozing up out of the top deck. Surprise! As it turns out, the cement job was done poorly, (laughs) and the bladder effect argument was false, and oil now showed up on the top deck. What does it mean when oil is showing up on the top deck? Well, it most likely means that there's a kick. So what is a kick? A kick is when... It's when you start to see mud up on the drilling floor. Typically what it is is when when they're drilling, the mud is kind of the barrier between the oil and gas down below and the rig. And so the mud is usually pretty heavy and under a lot of pressure. Well, if the mud is not heavy enough or if there's just too much pressure down below, it'll push the mud up. And so when you start seeing mud on the rig, that means that's, that's what's called a kick. And the next thing behind that is a blowout. Oh, okay. And a blowout is the big thing that happened 
on Deepwater Horizon. So can you explain in better detail than me mm. what a blowout is? Well, when you have the kick, you know, you, you see mud first. Well, then once the oil and gas makes it to the rig floor, the drilling floor, once it finds a an ignition source, it, I mean... It's bad news. Absolutely. So I guess my next question then would be, on Deepwater Horizon, oil came up and they thought it was a kick. What do you generally do then? What is the corrective action from there? You would close the blowout preventer. Can you now explain what a blowout preventer is? Well, it's a mechanical device that sits on the seafloor and the drill pipe actually goes through it and it's designed to be able to close off the well. You know, if you have a kick or start to have a blowout, there's ways you can close it from the rig and it just, it seals off the well and it traps everything under, underground. And that is what they did, but it didn't work. So what went wrong? Well, by the time the mud had made it to the floor and they realized what was going on, they closed off one of the rams, which is supposed to seal it. What's a ram? So there's a space in between the well bore and the drill pipe. It's called the annular space. What a ram does, it's like a cylinder. It closes the annular space around the drill pipe. So it comes in from the sides. It comes in from the sides it's... horizontally, and it, it just seals around the drill pipe. So it literally just like squishes it. Pretty, pretty much, but it doesn't do damage to the pipe. Oh, okay. It just kind of seals around it. Oh, because the mud that's coming up is in the annular space. It's not actually coming in through the drill pipe. It's coming up in that space around it. Right. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. So it didn't work. So they closed the second ram. And this worked. It sealed, sealed the well, but there was already oil and gas above the blowout preventer working its way up. So even though they closed it off successfully, it was still spewing out the top? Yeah, because, I mean, you had up to 5,000 feet of oil and gas in that pipe. You know, 5,000 feet of pipe above the blowout preventer. Oh, I think that's something important to explain. The blowout preventer is down on the ocean floor. Yes. How long is 5,000 feet? Just under a mile. And it's that oil and gas that kept coming out of the pipe, even after it had been closed off, the stuff above the blowout preventer still flowing up. That's what went up and found an ignition source. And when we say ignition source, it makes it sound like somebody just lit a cigarette and lit it on fire. But you have to think this whole rig, like you explained, there's a lot going on that platform. There's a lot of machinery. There's a whole lot of possibilities on what could have done it. You have like AC vents, you have electrical, you have, what is all the machinery stuff? Like what else would be? All kinds of engines, um, electrical, like you said. Uh, any, Any little bitty spark would have done it. No telling what did it. I don't think they, to this day, I doubt they know what did it. So at this point, it's looking pretty ugly because we got a deck that's on fire and the oil is still flowing and there's another undetected problem going on. Yep. The pressure in the annular space is going down because of the oil and gas that's spewing up on the rig. Meanwhile, the pressure inside the drill pipe is actually going up and the, the two pressures combining are causing the drill pipe to buckle inside the blowout preventer. So the blowout preventer sits on the seafloor, and it's about 57 feet tall. So you have 57 feet of pipe inside of this, plus, you know, underground, that's buckling. So it's it's off-center. So they cut it off, but that's at, like, the top of the blowout preventer where they cut it off. So the pipe below it... They cut off the annular space, which is the space around the pipe. Where was that cut off at? Probably toward the top of the blowout preventer. Okay. So somewhere in the middle of the blowout preventer, 
they tried to close the ram shears. And what that actually does is it cuts the drill pipe in half and seals it off. And that means that the well is not Th- usable. That's, yeah, a, yeah, a certain person has to make that call. Not just anybody can run over and hit the button. That has to be a life or death situation. Which in this case it was. It was, yeah. They tried to do it and it didn't work. Wait a minute. So you're telling me it's a life death situation. This is the last ditch effort is to hit this button on the wall that you have to get permission to do. Which, by the way, at this point in time, the rig is on fire. The electricity is not working. The phones are not working. So they're not even really able to get permission. Well, they're not able to get permission. In the movie, Jimmy makes the call, even though I don't think he had permission to do so. I think he just made the call. Well, because they're all about to die. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't working because they they lost electricity, all the hydraulics, communication, everything. And so that's when the AMF dead man switch comes into play. What is the AMF so, dead man? So it's an automatic shutoff system. It closes the blind shear ram without human intervention and without electric and, and hydraulic power. So basically, once the rig loses power and hydraulics and communication, that tells this device, hey, we need to cut off, we, we need to close the blind shear ram and cut the drill pipe. It uses batteries to close off. It's completely separate. From the rig, and that's yep. how it's designed to be yep. as an added as an added safety feature. Yep. So that's actually your last ditch effort there. Well, when it went to close, the pipe was buckled and off center, and so it the blind shear ram missed the pipe. So literally, the last safety measure also failed, and the Deepwater Horizon then continued on in utter catastrophe. Oil and gas continued to flow out of the drill pipe for the next 87 days. An estimated 5 million barrels of oil eventually spilled, causing the worst environmental disaster in U.S. history. Next week, in part two, we're going to go over all of the environmental impact and all the cleanup efforts and what eventually it took to get the well closed. Today's episode is basically just to review what all went wrong And I believe, Channing, you have some closing information that's pretty pertinent. Yeah, some of this you'll probably get into next week. But uh, as of 2018, cleanup costs and charges for uh, BP are at over $65 billion. Donald Vadreen died, passed away June 3rd of 2017 of cancer. So remind everybody who Donald Vadreen is. Donald Vadreen was one of the uh, superintendents for BP that got arrested. He had manslaughter charges against him, but I think they were able to prove kind of that it it wasn't fully on him. It was kind of, there were so many issues. So he ended up pleading guilty to just a manslaughter, a pollution charge and got 10 months probation. That was a misdemeanor? Yes, it was a misdemeanor. And then Jimmy Harrell, who worked for Transocean, passed away on May the 10th of 2021 from cancer. And that's Mr. Jimmy. That's Mr. Jimmy, yeah. And he was the good guy in the movie. Yep. May he rest in peace. Well, thank you very much, Channing, for coming on the show again. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. <laughs> it's doing wonders for our marriage. It makes me so happy. Awesome. <laughs> Maybe we'll see you for a third episode. Maybe. Let's see what you come up with. This, ap- this episode, by the way, Deepwater Horizon, this was Channing's idea. Yeah, it was. It was. I think you enjoyed researching and learning a lot for this. Mm -hmm. 
it is nighttime. Our children have been asleep for a while, and we are both getting pretty tired. Jamie's going to finish his beer, and then we're going to head to bed. Thanks, bud. <laughs> that was a throwback to uh, the hunting episode when you kept setting your beer down. This time we had a towel, so it was a little bit more quiet. Do we really have to make me sound like an alcoholic on the air? No. Thank you again, Channing. And no, my husband is not an alcoholic. Remember, we recorded this after he spent most of his day out in the cold, miserable, wet, rainy (laughs) holiday of Thanksgiving away from his family. So yes, he deserved, he earned that beer after a miserable day. Guess what time it is? It's time for the weekly challenge. Open up my container here and draw a card. And it says... Use old t-shirts or towels to clean your kitchen surfaces instead of paper towels. When they get dirty, simply wash and reuse. What a fantastic challenge. I literally today just saw a little meme on Facebook and shared it with the Starting Sustainability group. And on there it said something to the effect of when we wear an outfit, once it gets out of style or worn out, it doesn't go away. It just now becomes your at-home outfit. And then when it gets a little bit more worn, it becomes your sleeping outfit. And then after that, that's when you cut it up and you turn it into cleaning rags. And I thought that was a really fantastic meme. That's why I shared it on Starting Sustainability Group. So if you haven't joined, please do so. It's a Facebook group. It's called Starting Sustainability just like the name of this podcast. Really easy to remember. We also have our own page and you're welcome to join that as well. Be sure to listen in next week for part two of Deepwater Horizon, where we talk about the environmental impact that the oil spill had and all of the efforts that went into cleaning it up. Thank you again, Sustainer Nation. I hope you are all recovering from your super long holiday weekend, and I will see you all next week. Have a great one. Bye. Welcome to the Realistic Sustainability Podcast, a guide to greening your life. Each week, we will explore sustainability concepts and what we can do to reduce our family's carbon footprint while growing our positive footprint. This show supports step-by-step progress without those extreme jump-all-in measures. So join us on Anchor or your favorite podcast platform and subscribe today. 